Upon a slight conjecture on the origin of the solar system, I have ventured on a dangerous journey, and I already behold the foothills of new lands. Those who have the courage to continue the search will set foot on them. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts in England and Sweden. Matthew Russell and Limbold Christmas. Oh yeah, baby. Emmanuel Kant. Uh, Lynn. Hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Here's something I didn't know, Lynn. Mm. Emmanuel Kant was part of the three dudes. <laughs> the three stooges. The three stooges that, that sort of first worked out the nebula hypothesis of the start of the solar system. I didn't know that. One is a fellow Swede of yours. Emmanuel Swedenborg. That's a joke name. No, truly, it's not. he he just it was just some some other German guy who was like, well, my name is Emmanuel and I'm German. I have to pretend I'm something else now, or they won't believe us. What's the Swedish name? Swedenborg sounds. Swedenborg. Sounds Swedenborg. Sweden. Hello, my name is Sweden. Swedenborg. Emmanuel Swedenborg. Yeah, uh, Emmanuel wow. Kant, and of course the brilliant Pierre. Simon Laplace. So a Swede... Laplace. Yeah, Laplace. Oh my God. My blood pressure just went through. I have some PTSD from my physics undergraduate degree. Mm, Same. Laplace. Same. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Acoustics has a lot of Laplace transforms in. Yes, that's true. Uh, Of course. I've got a similar... Let's let's quickly steer away from that. (laughs) A similar nervous twitch. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yes, before we start, though, Lynn, I I need to do a shout-out to one of the Patreons. Uh, We were were wondering whether Mark Kelly was the Mark Kelly, but it wasn't. It's Mark Kelly, who happens to be this very tall Ryan Gosling (laughs) lookalike. Who uh, oh, wow. <laughs> who helps run a um, helps run a a pub? Well, it's more than a pub; it's a brewery near mm. near. Oh, I love breweries near where I used to work, and it's Sam Brooks Brewery Tap, right? And he said, "Matt, come down and and I'll and you know I'll I'll look after you." And he did. He gave me lots of beer and and the, one of the best <coughs> pizzas I've ever had. And uh, he took me round the brewery, and the brewery is the oldest continually running mm. brewery. In Britain. No way. Yeah. So it's been brewing since 1533. Oh my God. That's amazing. It's You maybe didn't even know this about me, but I happen to be a beer snob. I hate that about myself. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't choose the craft beer life. It, you know. It chose you. <laughs> it chose me. My mom picked it up for me. Um, and um, I, 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 unironically, I love craft beer. And uh, that sounds really amazing. What, what's the, the really weird coincidence is I used to work on that very site. So I, I've got lots of really? bizarre mutual friends with Mark, including John Hatch, who was one of the people that kept brewing, even though the brewery had shut down. But he kept brewing in a little secret place in the brewery to keep it going. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I used to... I used to drink Sam Brooks Wandle all the time when I was at work. Sounds so, delicious. And it's a very good... Can this become... A, 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 this, can this become a, a regular feature? A, yeah, can this become a, a, a brewing podcast? <laughs> Do you know what? I know a lot of the other space podcasts often start with uh, talking about beer. It's like a sort of... Okay, I think what? Space why and... am I here? Why am I not on those? <laughs> well, we can. We can <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> we can maybe do a little spin-off. 
I'm just drinking tea like an idiot. Uh, Linen linen mats. Yeah. Uh, 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 Interplanetary uh, (laughs) beer tasting. (laughs) Beer tasting podcast. We should do that. Right. I I love anything. Well, basically a gosa or like anything that really tastes like seawater and coriander. Sign me up. Oh, wow. That's like. Nice. Yeah. It's very niche and everyone hates me for it. But you know what? More for me. I buy the weird beer. No one touches it. I win. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah. I just like, I just like a nice, I do like a nice beer at the end of working. A nice lager, a nice pilsner. Hmm. I, well, mm. I, I won't even, I used to be into this thing called Banks's Mild, but it, no, no one else on earth really drinks it except me. It's really <laughs> annoying. It's so annoying. But it's a very, it's a very Birmingham drink. But there you go. But, but before I go, actually, before I leave this one, uh, I need to give a shout out to Adam French, who 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 was a little bit jealous he wasn't Hi, there, Adam. but he was the guy that introduced Mark to the podcast. So they're both patrons. They're both legendary pa- patrons who get their name shouted out at the end each month. But uh, oh, yeah. that's lovely. But, Hi guys. So it really made my Saturday it was just utterly brilliant. Oh, sounds lovely. Thank you, Mark. Right, what we got to talk about the solar system? It's a solar system special, yes. Lynn. But, oh, this is my jam. Oh, I yes. love this solar oh, system. Yes. And it's this is a 250th episode. Something I hadn't really quite what, really? <laughs> I hadn't quite <gasps> spotted that that was coming up. Oh my god. Yeah. Which Yay, clap, which, clap, 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 tiny applause. Woo. Which means we haven't had Jamie for 50 episodes. Oh, <gasps> that's very sad. <laughs> it is very sad, but we got Shout out to Jamie. But we got Lynn, which means I, you know, on, <laughs> on, on, on an episode like this, I don't have to do so much work. It's good. <laughs> no, I'm basically just going to like slightly unhinge my jaw and just like word vomit is going to come Aww. out. Um, I mean, okay, so little disclaimer, I'm a lowly PhD student realistically. I'm not going to sit here and and uh fraud you all by saying I'm some um Nobel laureate professor kind of thing, but I really, this is a special place in my heart because my two favorite aspects um, of astronomy, really, in general, is really anything that's like, how did we go from the weird little clouds in space to a fully fledged planetary system? And that's interesting, whether you're looking at our solar system or other solar systems, um, but our solar system is the one that we have access to. That's our sample size of one, you know? Mm. So um, even though I don't really actively work with with um, planets in our solar system, I, this this is really a, a topic that I love. Well, I mean... It, just because... It's super complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's... It, it, yeah. I mean, you... It's not one. It's not one discipline anymore, is it? It's like you. You have to be. No. You have to be an astronomer, a chemist, a geologist, a physicist, <laughs> yes. and, and a planet and a planetary scientist. Right? You'd yes. have to be all and a, those and things. And a programmer. A programmer. Yeah, and oh a yeah. Computational scientist, <laughs> and you know, it's the list is endless. And and it's actually what I why something I really like about this subject as well is that. Um, Shout out to um, the Astrobiology School um, that I attended a few months ago. It's an annual um, school uh, in France that is this uh, introductory course on astrobiology. It's usually in person, but it was online. It was fantastic. Um, and it was so interesting because uh, that course made me realize how interdisciplinary it is. Because the course was a week where, you know, you had physicists and chemists and biologists and, you know, talk even about the the ethics of of exploring solar systems it's it's such an interdisciplinary field because i mean what it can be more interdisciplinary than the exploration of everything beyond our planet yeah it really does touch on everything oh yeah yeah i mean 
Yeah, astrobiologists tend to be really fascinating people. Well, Carl Sagan for one. <laughs> exactly, the <laughs> but, pioneer. <laughs> the pioneer of it all, yeah. But, <laughs> but that, yeah, it's so interdisciplinary. It's just unreal, isn't it? So, so yeah. okay. So first of all, Lynn, how mm. where where did, where, did, where the hell did the solar system come from? Where so, did we like, come from? Where, so uh, it, take us right back, right okay. back to the beginning. I, I would take us back to say four point five billion years ago. Dun, 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 dun. Is that is that about right? Is that well four point six if we want to include the the because I I I think for context to really set the scene. Um, it's important to first talk about step zero, which is the star formation, the host star formation. Mm. And that's more like 4.6, I think. Um, so quick 101, little recap, how our stars board. Mm. Um, and I'm going to be very, very uh, outreach level on this. So imagine a cloud in space, mm -hmm. right? And just like the fluffy clouds that we see on Earth... Um, the clouds that form in space, because there are, you know, molecular clouds, basically hydrogen clouds that do kind of accrete in space. That's what those pretty uh, screensaver images that you've seen before of nebulas and stuff like that often is, like the the sort of swooping, colorful clouds. But but, um, but before you go on, most people, I don't think, mm. have a grasp about how big those things are, right? Oh, my God. They are... I I... I, I I literally don't have the words because even if I throw a number out at you, that will be so many zeros that that will not make sense to anything you have ever experienced yeah. before in your everyday life. <laughs> I mean, that, I, one, of the, one of the ways that I got a, a tiny sense about how big it was, it says there's a 3D Max um, um, Hubble film that they show at the mm. Science Museum and they've got the Orion Nebula. And now the Orion yeah. Nebula, as far as I can make out, is quite a similar molecular cloud that the 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 the, the solar system formed out of, right? It's quite similar to yeah. that that kind of molecular cloud. And whereas you know any astrophotographer or anyone who knows the Orion Nebula will see that there's stars dotted in around it. And you think yes. okay, so there's stars dotted in around it, and each of those stars is probably separated by much more than the size of the solar system, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes. so you suddenly go, Oh, it's really big. It's not just like yes. a sort of, you know, a, a cloud. This thing is no, this, exactly. this thing's so vast, it's just unreal. It's you know Yeah, it, I mean it would it would encompass our solar system thousands of millions times over. Mm. It's just we literally cannot grasp it uh, without, you know, some attempt at visual aids. You know, the Carl Sagan, um, we just mentioned him, um, that classic where it zooms out and, you know, mm. the powers of 10 kind of thing. Um, those kinds of things at least hint at the ridiculousness of it all, but um, it's it's just unimaginable, really. So it's it's I, I think it's something like 65 light years across. Yeah. So that's long, isn't Which, it? Which, um, yeah. yeah, the 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 technical term is really freaking big. <laughs> freaking big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so we're, but you know, it, let, let, let's let's think about uh, this in a more comprehensible manner. You can just picture a pretty fluffy cloud, mm -hmm. right? Um, mostly made out of hydrogen, and it's in space. And you know, when we stand on Earth and we drop our apple or whatever, it falls to the ground, and we know that um, things are attracted gravitationally to uh, bigger things. So here on Earth, the biggest thing nearby us is um, the Earth, so things fall towards it. But you imagine if you, it's a big, big cloud in space, there's no other you know, big thing for it to be attracted to, so 
the gas in the cloud ends up being kind of attracted to other bits of cloud. And they start, you know, sort of like a social event and you naturally get clusters of people being attracted to break off into mm. little groups. Um, you sort of get groups of uh, the cloud that start to be attracted to each other and then they um, start to condense. And um, when it reaches a certain mass, then uh, the pressure is such that it actually collapses inwards and that's how star formation is triggered. So you have your gas cloud and um, more and more gas gets attracted into one little pocket, let's say, and that's where you get a high concentration and then it reaches a sort of threshold where it actually collapses inwards, which makes it so hot and so, um, you know, the pressure is so high that that actually starts to ignite and that's how you get your baby star. Congratulations. Uh, really simplified, but that's basically the know, point. I, and it's kind of like, you know, when you are in bed and you have like a blanket and it's really nice and then you have another blanket and then it's a little bit too hot. And then there's like three blankets and that's way too hot. And then there's suddenly a thousand blankets and that is really, really hot. So when you have that much gas, it ignites. Yeah, Just I'm, like you would ignite if you had loads of blankets on you. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, one of, one of the things that I think is really... One of the things that I never really kind of got my head around was this whole idea that it's that I guess this big this big cloud it starts to spin just like you, you, yes. it's the ice skater thing is 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 easier right. and and so when they bring their arms in they spin faster and faster so this as this thing gets smaller because it's collapsing it's exactly. it's actually spinning faster and faster and all those all those hydrogen uh, atoms are basically they're going really fast and bashing into each other and the friction is actually causing all this heat as well isn't it so it's not just yeah. it's not just like something like so it gets extremely hot yeah. even without any kind of nuclear you know fission or fusion well so yeah that we say that you know uh, <laughs> the, the star is you know in its normal lifetime yeah. when it's on something called the main sequence which is when it is burning hydrogen um and there is there is you know it it doesn't happen um instantly per se um but uh yeah this uh hydrogen that you're talking about it's basically it's it's still sort of gravitationally bound let's say to this um star that has just formed the baby star and um what you get is that um you know, when you, okay, if you have a glass nearby, pick it up, please. And if you start gently swirling it around in a sort of gentle circular motion, you'll notice that all the liquid gets pushed towards the edge of the glass, right? And if you have a pizza dough, a nice way to get it nice and flat is by picking it up and spinning it. So um, things, when they spin, they get sort of flattened out. Um, I, I wish you guys could see me because I'm using my hands a lot. But I think the, <laughs> um, the pizza dough is easily the best one to think about it, though, isn't it? Because it really yeah. so, does. It really does demonstrate that that exactly. protoplanetary so, so, disk is presumably exactly. what this is. Yeah, this is exactly what this is. So you have so recap: um, cloud gets hot in the middle, ignites all the uh, sort of surrounding cloud, the blankets. Um, are still sort of connected to by gravity to this uh, newly formed star. And because of the, um, you know, because you have the new star that's uh, taking up less space, it's kind of like the ice skater pulling her arms in. So then it starts spinning and then that sort of whips the surrounding cloud into a sort of flattened disc, like a donut um, around, around the star. So... Um, what used to be a more diffuse cloud that was all around and it was in the center that the, the star was formed 
um, as this process takes place, the the um, surrounding cloud gets whipped into this sort of more flattened disk. And that's called the protoplanetary disk. Proto, before planets. So, gee, I wonder what's going to happen in this disk. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I've got a question for you. As if, mm. if, this, if this whole disk is collapsing, is... Now, have I got this right? Essentially, all the mass in the cloud has pretty much all gone into that star except for a tiny amount left over. <laughs> right. Right. That's, but so yeah. why is there a tiny amount left over? How come the planetary, that planetary disk doesn't just collapse down into the star? This is now, you really open, this is a, a very active field of research. Um, you do have a sort of uh, accretion shockwave. Um, so you also have, because young stars are also very uh, temperamental, let's say, mm. you know, teenagers, baby stars all do the same thing. They have the little outburst. There's some UV radiation. There's some shouting. Um, and so um, the the um, interaction, let's say, between the early disk and the early star is a very active field of research. Um, so um, how that exactly uh, happens and, and what processes are, are, are take place is something that we're trying to study. But the disk that is left over, um, that is where the planets um, take place. And there's, there's a lot of um, chemistry that takes place um, over this desk, uh, desk disk um, because uh, the outer side of the, the disk is kind of showered by this radiation from, from the young star. Um, but the middle of the disk, if you imagine, um, it actually gets quite well shielded from the gas above and below it. And so there it's much colder. And we talk about uh, in the middle of the protoplanetary disk, there's this kind of icy midplane, and that's where it gets cold enough um, because you don't get the, as much radiation um, that you actually can get dusts and ice grains like silicates that can condense and start this sort of accretion process. And the accretion process is then what uh, turns into the planet formation. So similarly, you might be able to see a pattern here. Mm -hmm. Things in space like to clump together. And um, so in this disk, you similarly have, you start to have this accretion process where, where um, grains grow into slightly bigger bodies and then slightly bigger bodies and then planetesimals and then planets. Um, again, this is also a, a, a very active field of research, like how this actually happens. You've brought up the word accretion quite a lot. And, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> and the one thing I've, when any sort of, you know, scientist talks about accretion, they always prefix it with the fact that that really no one truly understands the accretion <laughs> process, right? Yeah. Well, so this is the thing, right? With with um, many things in, in astronomy and certainly um, planet formation, the problem is that it takes place over such long periods of times that we can't study it in real time. If you want to study how, you know, fruit flies reproduce, no problem. You need like 16 hours or whatever. Um, the problem with planet formation and, and indeed in astronomy in general is like, okay, imagine you wanted to investigate how humans age. And you've got a picture here of a um, six-year-old boy from Morocco and an eight-year-old woman from Japan. And then you've got this picture of someone from Canada, but it's a bit blurry and from the back. So you think they're maybe 25. And then you're trying to like piece together how aging happens by looking at these totally different things and trying to find a, a correlation. And, you know, maybe maybe you look at the these three pictures and you think um, or you say that 
the 25-year-old, or if they even are 25, well, they're kind of in between height of the 6-year-old and the 80-year-old, so maybe height is something that happens with age. Mm. Or or you might say that the 25-year-old and 80-year-old both have uh, lighter hair than the 6-year-old, so maybe hair goes lighter with age, but then you don't know, does that happen at 10 or at 50? (laughs) So there's all of these kind of like, we're having to sort of triangulate what we know by looking at a lot of different um, systems and and trying to piece together, first checking how old we think that that star is, and then comparing what a 10 million year old star looks like compared to a 100 million year old star looks like, then we can sort of try to see Uh, a commonality, a kind of story unfold from that. But we can't say, okay, let's pick out the solar system, let's speed it up and see how it evolves over time to figure out what what aging looks like. Um, We're having to just patch it together from what we have found and what we think that means. So presumably there's like, obviously we can look at millions of if not billions of stars. So there must be uh, stars in various stages of their protoplanetary disk or or stellar formation that that presumably yeah. you can say well i wonder what it is a hundred thousand years in let's look at that star because it's yeah. it's see it looks like it's like a similar star to the sun and it's and it's about a hundred thousand exactly. years so is, is that what they're doing is are they, is, is that how they basically yeah and this is why, yeah, this is why, um, you know, looking at sun-like stars uh, in, in every field, not just protoplanetary disk, um, that's very exciting. Um, and uh, one thing we have sort of, you know, deduced or, or, or suspect um, is that we have some kind of constraint on how quickly protoplanetary, or sorry, uh, planet formation should take based on the fact that actually looking at protoplanetary disks, we're not really finding any... Um, on younger or, or any stars beyond sort of, I don't know, 10 million years um, of age. So then that can say, like, if we were finding disks, even at like 500 million year old stars, then we would not know how long it takes for planet formation. Does it take 10 years, 10 million years or 100 million years? Yeah. But because we're finding disks really only on younger stars, we can say, okay, then that's roughly how long um, planet formation should take. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. So his, so we've got this disc. Now, I keep hearing the word the frost line. Yes. Now, that, that seems to have <laughs> a fairly significant role, right? In, in It does. In dividing where planets form. So, yeah, give us w- Absolutely. W- why, it's, why is the frost line so important? So the frost line or the ice line or snow line, um, many names, Um, it's basically just a reference to um, at which distance from the central star um, will this species um, be able to condense into ice grains. Um, Something worth noting is that there's not one frost line. There's the water frost line and the ammonia frost line and the carbon dioxide frost line. It's this point at which... um, that species frost or um, that species will actually start to um, be able to exist as ice. Um, obviously, if you take uh, water is, is a good example. People often know about the Goldilocks zone. Um, I guess that would be the water line because it's the water line at which or the you know liquid line, let's say, um, where we can find liquid water. And so the um, the frost line, ice line, snow line, whatever, it's basically the same principle. Um, at what point is it? not too close 
that um, this can actually happen. And that's really important for, for planet formation because um, if you want to look at, um, if you want to look for a planet that has like a rocky core, for instance, um, versus a gas giant versus like an ice giant, um, then you need to be able to um, figure out at what point can these exist. But it's a really tricky one because planets don't always stay <laughs> where they're born, <laughs> so to speak. So you can have um, planets that, you know, are, are accreted and, and are born, let's say, um, at one point, which can either be, you know, within or beyond the frost line. And then they can migrate, mm. and and that can also have an impact well, on. Well, before we get onto migration, because clearly that that's one and just one. That's a big one. Well, it just adds <laughs> such a complexity to the puzzle, doesn't it? But I mean, it's not a coincidence, is it, that Mercury, Earth, Venus, Mars are all rocky planets, and they're all <laughs> in the sort of inner solar exactly. system, right? So presumably they all form before the frost line. That they're and, and they can't they they don't get big they don't get massive because there isn't actually that much material from for them to accrete out of. Well, this is the thing, and I mean, you've kind of painted yourself in a corner now because now we have to talk about migration <laughs> because <laughs> because um, because um, one um, idea of of uh, how. Um, the solar system was formed. And I'm going to say really underlining, underlining so hard, the pens going through the paper, an idea because we really do not know for sure, um, is that the solar system was formed as such that you started out with actually just the giants of our solar system, Saturn, Jupiter, um, Uranus, and Neptune, and that they were all um, closer in to the um, sun and on much more nicer sort of circular orbits. Um, and then you had all of these sort of like outer bodies around it. We have the Cooper belt um, that would have existed before then too. And um, what might have happened is that migration could have taken place. Um, and when we look at Jupiter, it has so much mass. And one idea for why maybe uh, Mars is not very big and, and, and why the inner planets, um, our planets are actually quite small um, compared to what we found in the solar system, in, in, in the universe, um, could be because they took up quite a lot of this mass, uh, especially if, if they were closer into roughly, you know, where, where Mars and, and Earth is now, um, then that could have been accreting a lot more of the mass because, have you ever played that game where it's like, um, you, you it's like a bit like Snake, where the bigger you get, uh, you pick up like the little pieces and then you grow bigger and oh, then the bigger that, you are, the easier it is to get more. Do you know that, what I mean? Didn't that used to be on, yeah, the Nokia phones? And no, in <laughs> fact, I tell you what, I tell you a really good version used to be on early on early computers as part of your, uh, part of Quick Basic and, and it was called, I think it <laughs> yeah. was called, was it called Snakes? Oh, but it, and, it you, could and you could have two player snakes. It was one of the best games ever when I was at university. Exactly. It was, it was, the, <laughs> it was the Fortnite of, oh of, God! <laughs> you hear that, kids? You hear that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It was the yeah. It was the sort of PC version of Snake on the Nokia exactly. brick. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, I love well, it. You know, I love that game. <laughs> we should just talk about that instead. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know yeah. I was going to be able to get to reminisce about that game. Well, <laughs> we've got we've got beer on this channel. We've got <laughs> phone games. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a little bit, you know, like the 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 bigger something is, then then the more likely it is to swoop up sort of um, more of the mass. Um, so. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> we got so excited about the games. Now. Well, well, the the, um, the rocky. I mean, rocky planets and gas giants, and there doesn't seem to be anything kind of in between, does there? You, you've got your kind of four rocky planets, well, and then you've got your four, your big four massive gaseous planets. Well, I suppose. Yeah. Although there's something special about Jupiter, isn't there? Because like Jupiter is. I love Jupiter. Ninety nine percent of the mass of the solar system. If you take out, it's greedy. It, it's proper greedy. Jupiter isn't it? is Little Miss Greedy Gobbler <laughs> for sure. Um, no, and I mean, um, this is this is why it's so interesting because um, we've ha- we've had this conversation. I remember on a, on a previous episode, but but there is this point uh, when we're looking at other planets in our solar and keep saying solar system when we're looking at other planets uh in the universe and we're sort of looking for other systems to compare to so that like my analogy with the pictures of the different aged people we can look at different things to start to figure out where do we fit in where do we slide in on here and 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 how do we compare to everyone else um, and looking at other planetary systems we are finding a lot of planets that are kind of in between because you're right in our solar system we have these itsy bitsy little rocky planets and then these big old giants gas giants and ice giants and we don't really have anything in between but that's not true for the rest of the universe we have found a lot of planets that we call um super earths or um sub neptunes there's actually some debate in the community about super earths and sub neptunes because they kind of overlap um i guess it's more like a comment on whether it's a big rocky planet or a small gas slash ice giant um but uh there is a lot of these planets that sort of are are bigger than the inner planets in our solar system and smaller than the giants in our solar system um and we don't have any of those so why that is is a really interesting question well we don't have a direct answer to but could it be theories could it be that because another news story quite recently was that there's way more of these rogue planets that don't have parent stars yeah, out, that's out true. there. So presumably our early solar system could have had one of these super Earths. Yeah. That due to migration has been booted hey, has, yeah. has been booted out. So well what are the it's kind of spelled. what are the main causes of of the planets to, to sort of move around? Why why don't they just stop in place? Like you would have thought that if it's if it's found a kind of place to orbit then that, that then the gas that it formed out of must have been yeah. orb, orbiting at that distance anyway. So why why would it move? Well, this is the thing. One of my favorite things about physics is how unpredictable something so predictable can be. Hmm. And um, I don't know if if you or any of our listeners um, know about the double pendulum thing, which is that even though it's quite easy to predict the motion of a single pendulum, just like, you know, grandfather clock sort of thing swinging back and forth. So easy. You, then, you can make a clock so out. Easy. It's so easy. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can make a clock out of it, though. I mean, it's like it's so predictable. Yeah. You can make it's a clock. It's straightforward. Right. You know the like sort of like you're yeah. feeling sleepy, hypnosis, yeah. things swinging back and forth. It really is going back and forth. But um, if you then attach a second pendulum to the pendulum, I know that's kind of hard to, to yeah, picture, yeah. But that becomes a really crazy, chaotic, very randomized motion that's really hard to predict. It's, is, is, that, is that akin to the three-body problem? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, any N-body problems um, yeah. are, I mean, can but... be tricky. <laughs> yeah. 
but but this is the thing and so in a solar system you can have what looks like a really stable orbit for a really long time and then it's not um and it all depends on you know the little little tiny sort of forces on each other because um as as some of you probably know that um the planets that go around uh the sun it looks like the sun is in the middle completely still and the planets are going around them but that's also not true because as you know from Newton's laws, anything that gets a push gets a pull. And um, the planets that go around our solar system is sort of tugging at uh, our sun too. And so all of this in this big system, there's a lot of back and forth and there's loads of unaccounted bodies for that. I mean, we don't even know exactly where every single piece of asteroid is in the solar system. We don't even really know what's beyond a certain point outside of in our solar system. Um, so there's a lot of instabilities and there's a lot of tiny fractional changes that can happen. And the, actually, there's there's some really great tools online where you can, you know, do like my 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 uh, planetary system or like my solar system and mm. stuff where you can sort of input, you know, uh, I want a mass of 10 in the middle and then a mass of one going around it. And you can muck around and see how easy it is to destabilize and or to have a, a, a you know yeah. unstable system it's it's fun yeah i've got i've got the universe sandbox is that, yes that, that kind of stuff yeah. yeah it's great it's so good and it's like it can so in our solar system unfortunately there's not really a way to trace what happened before if something's been ejected from our solar system how will we know can't, well, can't, um, well i mean we, we know the orbits is it so complicated that you can't just get the orbits as they are now, and then just mm. re reverse the film. But not really, though. That's the problem. We know we kind of can't because there's so many pieces. If we knew the exact mass and the exact position and the exact everything of every single piece, like grain in our solar system, then yes, we can make a beautiful model from that. But we don't. And we don't know what the early, early history uh, of our solar system looked like, which is why this is such an interesting field. Yeah, and, and it, uh, it, the errors add up really quickly. I remember... There's a there's a really good um, analogy that I've that I've always <laughs> I don't I I must have learned this when I was a real young kid when snooker was really pop Aww. when snooker <laughs> was very popular in in England and if you have someone sitting at a snooker table and you and you line up six snooker balls and you try and hit them so you, mm -hmm. you get one ball and you've got to hit them right. and it's got to knock into the other six balls right yeah. It's impossible, A, to cue that accurately. But if you could cue that accurately, if someone's sitting the other side of the table, mm. their position will mean that the final ball will miss just because of the added-on effect of their yeah. gravity yeah. On, on those balls. And it, you think, yeah, so you would literally have to know every single, down to the Everything. atom. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> that the error's build up so quickly that 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 you couldn't just reverse the model could you it's, I well mean, it's, especially it's 4.5 billion years yeah like. exactly no you can't even do it yeah you probably can't even do it for a few years you, you have to continually yeah you know satellites have to continually station keep you can't you can't exactly because they're, exactly. they're, they're getting perturbation perturbations from perturbation the, great from, word from certain you know gravitational effects so it yeah it's 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 just ridiculously complicated isn't it so you've got yeah you've got all these orb or you've got all these orbits and there's presumably orbital resonances so like some of them like will, yes. will orbit twice while the other one's orbiting once and things like exactly. that and, and that, that must create kind of weird pushes and pulls <laughs> So yeah, well, I mean, precisely because this this keeps me awake at night because presu <laughs> because presumably there is a chance 
that this what seems to be like a really stable situation that we have in the solar system mm. could just go to shit. <laughs> just could suddenly all start <laughs> falling apart. You know what? Don't think about it. Just, just don't think about it too hard. There's a lot of asteroids that could hit us. There's a lot of solar flares that could happen. But, but just, is just try not to think about. It. But presumably that is a that is a feasibility that 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 actually yeah we we could have some weird orbital mechanics going on that starts to you know push the Earth out of position or yeah or because you know or make or make Uranus crash into. <laughs> crash into yeah. one, into Jupiter or something, and then then, yeah. then all well, hell would break loose, right? Yeah, and I mean we've already got all these freaky clues laying around. Like, did you know that Uranus um, spins on its side? It's like if you imagine that Earth is spinning like a ballerina, mm-hmm. Uranus is rolling forward like a stone. So it, along it, it is that likely to have happened because something's bashed into it. Something's happened, yeah. But it's how to, how do we know? But it's got to be catastrophic because you've got you clearly <laughs> like that that disc, like you said, is like um, yeah, it's been spun and like to change the angular momentum just seems like yeah, incredibly unlikely. So it must be something incredibly violent. And Venus is spinning the wrong way round. So that yes, so it that goes hasn't backwards. Even, that hasn't even gone on its side. That's been flipped over completely flipped over. over. So there's 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 some some it's like we've just stepped into a really creepy basement. There's definitely smells of blood, and we're going hello, <laughs> but we're not really sure what's happened. Um, yeah. So there's 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 so many interesting things that uh, you know unanswered questions like that, and and it's such an interesting field of research for exactly that reason. Um, and you know, if, if figuring out what happened in our solar system. If we can't even do that, how are we supposed to figure out what happens in other solar systems? So it's it's uh, very no. much an ongoing thing. And actually, um, people who work in you know solar system science, people who study the bodies in our solar system, and people who study exoplanets, planets beyond our solar systems, um, have a lot in common because a lot of the work that one group does benefits the other. Mm. Now, I another good another cool thing is that the rings of Saturn are often like considered a really useful tool for looking at solar system formation aren't they as in yeah they're actually they're they're certainly when when you're trying to explain like how to picture this protoplanetary disk you can kind of picture that if the sun is saturn then the disk is like saturn's rings because you because you, you've got those orbital resonances between the moons that create the the, yeah. the sort of lines in in the, in, the gaps, the gaps, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Kirkwood Which, gaps, I think they're called. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That so I guess it is. It's really easy to kind of see. Now here's a weird one. What the heck Ooh. is the What's the heck is the asteroid belt doing then? So how come? <laughs> what what is what, what? Why is the asteroid why belt is it there? there? <laughs> why is it there? Why is it there? Um, well, um, I think one one common point is that it's sort of leftovers. Um, and uh, we do have we have another belt. We have a um, a belt beyond as well, beyond um, Neptune and uh, and Uranus. Um, so so asteroids belts are, are pretty common that way. I mean, there's a lot of um, bits that don't get turned into <laughs> into planets, unfortunately. Um, and and again, accretion processes. I keep saying this word, but it's a really interesting, important topic because figuring out why things clump together and how they do it can also answer questions to which parts clump together and why. So if 
Is it? Is it? Was well, something like the Earth? It's big enough. It got big enough to kind of mm. clear its orbit. Whereas yeah. Ceres, which is like sitting in the middle of the asteroid belt, just never got big enough to to yeah. kind of clear up its orbit. Well, proper, that's, yeah, sufficiently. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, f- for those who don't know, that that is um, one of the definitions of what is a planet uh, from from the IAU. Um, it is that number one it has to go around the sun. Check. Um, and um, but it, it does have to clear its own orbit, meaning that it's just in orbit around um, the sun. And Pluto, for instance, the reason it's not a planet technically is because Pluto and its moon, it's not that the moon goes around Pluto, it's that Pluto and the moon are going around together and they're going around the sun. So so um, well, being and, able to... And it hasn't cleared its orbit because it's sitting, exactly. in, the, it's, it's sitting in the Kuiper belt. Right. Yeah, I mean these are these are blurry lines. Like where yeah. does the, where does it start and where do the planets? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean Neptune is easy because it's huge, but <laughs> yeah, but even, I mean Jupiter hasn't quite cleared its orbits because it's got these Trojans either side, right? Yeah, exactly. That yeah, that's something else I was going to mention. And, so I mean it's it's and it's so big it doesn't really orbit the sun. Jupiter and the sun orbit each other. Exactly, but I mean it's at least the sun is <laughs> mostly fixed in the center. <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, Jupiter moves it enough to be that it moves it out, yeah, yeah, yeah. outside yeah. of its outer atmosphere. Yeah. When we say when we talk about how the the planets uh, sort of tug at the sun, it's it's really Jupiter doing the heavy lifting there. Yeah. We're we're kind of like we're doing it too, but it's it's <laughs> yeah. Jupiter. Well, I mean, Jupiter is ninety nine percent of the so- mass of the solar system, and everything yeah, else is so. just like a sort of r- rounding you know, error. Did you know that Saturn? Um, has a density that means that if you put it in a huge ocean, it would float. I know, I know. How cool is that? That is Sa- the best. Saturn. Saturn would float. It is. Uh, it's. It's hard to get your it head around, isn't it? You know, you know when you're you're a kid or <clears throat> an adult like me, and you like on a plane and you're seeing the really fluffy clouds, and you're like, I want to sit on that. That's how I feel about Saturn. Yeah, I just I mean, want to go and. It'd be. It'd be. It wouldn't it'd, be good, but. Does, I mean, does, do they know whether Saturn and Jupiter have rocky cores or could they just be gas all the way down? Because I know that was one of the sort of, like Juno is still out there tr- trying to find out what on earth is going yeah. on in, inside Jupiter, isn't it? Um, it's 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 not, uh, we haven't gone to the core, so not confirmed or so, but we do think it's it's basically a dense mix of elements. And I mean, the the... It could be rocky, it could not be, um, but I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's very compact. So whatever the, you know, chemical composition is, um, because there's so much mass in, in Jupiter, let's say, um, it should be sufficiently So, so if, you <laughs> dense. Ju- if you jumped into Saturn, you wouldn't, mm. you wouldn't have the hilarious thing of popping out the other side like yeah. you would if you jumped Whee! into a cloud. <laughs> you, you, you I think would, you'd have a bad time. You'd have a bad time. <laughs> I think you'd have a bad time, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so you've got you've got your inner rocky planets, then you've got your asteroid belt, then you've got your your gas giants, then your icy giants, then your Kuiper belt. Mm. But really, I mean, they're, they're all massive clues, aren't they? But they're still not necessarily how it all. They're not in the positions of where it formed, are they? So it's like not necessarily anyway. No, that's the thing. So, I mean, we have good clues um, to to how this has happened, and and um, this idea that uh, the uh, giants were formed 
closer in before and and um, had nice circular orbits and then everything kind of went kabloom. Um, that's um, uh, from something called the Nice model. Not nice model, the Nice model. Um, and um, that's one that's fairly widely accepted, I think. Um, but I mean, hey, if anyone if anyone's listening wants to do some research, it's still up for grabs. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's still uh, to be confirmed. I mean, one of the big one of the big things I think that made the Nice model kind of everyone went, "Ooh, that's that's that explains that's a good one. That, ex- that explains loads uh, loads of yeah. things." Is that it explains explains the late heavy bombardment? Yeah, which I mean, I think is also like a little bit not fully confirmed, but that's <laughs> yeah. that's something. Or well, you know, was... it it hints that that that's kind of the thing that yeah, you would get. Yeah, that could be a thing. Yeah, that could be <laughs> the thing. But the, you know, and, and I guess that's because we know at some point it, in the history of the solar system mm. that that all the inner rocky planets got completely smashed to hell by tons and tons and tons of material that was being disturbed by the movement of these planets that during, you know, during what the the nice models migration right yeah well definitely the there's plenty of clues that uh something really wacky happened at some point <laughs> and and because it's also because we do have this weird solar system compared to other planetary systems um a point i was going to make earlier and didn't um is that when we talk about these uh super earths and sub neptunes and all these like intermediate categories of planets that we found a lot of uh an important philosophical question is are we finding them because there's a lot of them or because they're easy to find? And um, this is why it's so important to get as good of an observational capability as possible because we need to know what the sort of true distribution of different planetary sizes are in order to make sense of what our sizes are. We're like insecure at school being like, is is are my planets too small? Are they too big? Like, I mean, presumably, I, I mean, it's almost obvious, isn't it? That, that if you've got, <laughs> if you've got things like the transit method and mm-hmm. uh, uh, where the bigger the planet, the easier it is to spot. Right. So, yeah. so you're going to see the bigger ones first. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so, so, so it's hard in that sense, but, um, it, it's, I think we're at least have found enough, small rocky planets as well to know that we probably still have an a, a kind of a weird solar system oh, yeah. okay. um, because we've m- most of the solar system we found it is more common for planets to be closer in in general um, and one of the planetary types let's say that we found a lot of are these hot jupiters which are like well basically jupiter-sized planets but that are much closer in um, some of these systems that we found have several planets that are all like within the distance of the sun to Mercury. Imagine all the planets within <laughs> that short distance. So, so the fact that we are more spread out like that is indeed unusual. Yeah, that that's crazy. Do you want to know another a crazy fact? Hit me. Did you know you can get all the planets, and and you can fit them in between the Earth and the Moon? Yes, I did know that. I but, love but, that. But only just, as in you, you have yeah. to, you have, you can't do it with the with the bulge spin, the spinning <laughs> yeah. bulge. You have to Saturn's put Saturn's rings have to go. <laughs> oh no, Saturn's rings have to go. Yeah. But you, you, you have to tip all of them on their sides. Yeah, because where they spin, they're they, they're obviously slightly wider. 
Yeah. Where, where they spin. because I they, love you know, that, though. They, so, yeah, I, it's just I can't get my head around the fact that you can easily get Jupiter and Saturn side by side in between <laughs> Earth and the moon. I think this this is a problem because, um, you know, at school and on posters and stuff like that, any kind of visual representation of the solar system, you have to sacrifice either size or distance. Yeah. So it's never going to be to scale. Usually it's neither. Usually it's like all the planets basically the same size, like with smiley faces, you know, five centimeters all apart, equidistant. <laughs> um, and and I, I really think that something that people underestimate, unless they have explicitly learned it, is how far apart everything is we are so tiny and we're so far apart all the other planets like uh, all of the planets are far apart from the other planets i, I know but well it there's um weirdly by coincidence i found this that there's a there's a town in kent called otford so it's like Ooh. it's like oxford but spelt with a t <laughs> yeah. and my bro- my brother's middle name is otford as it and my great oh, really? yeah my great granddad's first name is Otford because they came from Otford so I was visiting there because my gr- great great granddad had built a folly there and and um, but I discovered that they had a scale sized solar system there so in oh. Otford they have this field where there's a a sun which is about the size of a football yeah and then. Near the edge of the field is the Earth, and it's about the size of a two pence piece. Oh, really? And, and 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 then and then something like Pluto is apparently in New York, and the, and it's and apparently oh, so, wow. there, there, it's somewhere in some office somewhere. There is That's this amazing. There is this Pluto. Oh no, it's not Pluto. <laughs> it's um, it must be Proxima Centauri is in New oh, York. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Proxima Centauri, but Pluto's in like. Is like two miles down yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in some farmer in some farmer's field somewhere. So there is a scale model of the solar system in that's amazing in, in Otford in Kent. I think there's a few around the world, but but I discovered that one purely by by accident, and it is amazing. I it's love that. You so... hear that, TripAdvisor? <laughs> yeah, Otford's the place to be. <laughs> yeah, it must be on TripAdvisor the Otford yeah. solar system. I wonder if there it is, still there exists. Is, there is one in in Sweden as well. There's um um. There's this huge sort of uh, arena for music and whatever in Stockholm. It's mm-hmm. uh, called Globen. It looks like it, Globen literally means the globe, um, and it's this big white golf ball looking thing, um, huge arena. And uh, someone thought, hey, what if that was the sun? Where would the planets be, and how big would they be? <laughs> and so there is also a, a two scale um, solar system like that. And you know, Venus uh, and Mercury, they're in Stockholm, kind of thing, I not think too far from this globe. I think yours is the biggest. The, sw- uh, yes. the, the Sweden solar system. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Is is and, uh, a is a one to twenty million scale system. So that's the biggest one, and it began yeah. in nineteen ninety eight. There you go, and, and it's three hundred kilometers from Sun to Pluto. Yeah, and that's yeah. So it's um the you know the inner planets are kind of in Stockholm, kind of walking distance from from uh, the Sun, and uh, Saturn is actually here in Uppsala. And uh, then the outer planets um, are up in Kiruna, like in the really north of Sweden. And I mean, disclaimer, Sweden is really long. I don't know if our listeners know this, but <laughs> this is like saying it's on the other end of the country is actually quite a large statement in Sweden. Whereas, and, and look, the Otford solar system model's in here as well. And that's, that's 1 to 4.5 billion scale. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So there we go. And there's a similar one in Ithaca. The Sagan Planet Ithaca Walk, near, yes, a of similar, course. a similar, Cornell. similar, similar size. So there we yeah. go. 
I actually, I, one of my, you know, I, I think a lot of people who are in a field that they're passionate about have this kind of like childhood uh, memory of a light bulb going on, like, oh, this is a really cool topic. And one of mine was um, um, in a physics class. Hello, Mr. Jones. Um, <laughs> where we did do actually, and, and we did something like, okay, this is the sun. And then we were sort of walking across campus. And then it said, you know, this is where earth or whatever would be. And I remember walking there and being like, wow, that's really far. <laughs> that was a that was a, a a little penny drop moment. It's hard to get your head around the scales, isn't uh, it? I mean, we've come full circle about, now. Yeah, we have, haven't we? Yeah. It's like well, <laughs> the scale yes. the scale of it all is just is just ridiculous. But also, like everything seems everything seems a little bit preposterous. Like one the one thing that we <laughs> didn't mention in the in the protoplanetary disk mm. was was that it's not just hydrogen that there's other other elements in there right and those other elements have come from previous star formation ah okay so now this is where cue the twilight zone music so imagine this you have the 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 disc right and like we said it's mostly hydrogen and then if you have if you actually look at the chemical composition of everything else there is an offset um of you know what we would expect to be in this um protostellar uh, gas uh, that becomes the disk. So where do they come from? That's a really good question. And um, this is a little bit also, you know, like um, still still um, being researched, um, but there's one really cool um, idea where we talk about, so you know how stars, we were talking about how they form in these like pockets of the gas, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that means that they don't really just form like one random star in the middle of nowhere. You usually have a big gas cloud and then several pockets take place. So you have like a star forming region where where many stars are kind of uh, a, born. A, a stellar nursery. I know, it's my favorite <laughs> word, stellar nursery. And um, so stars, um, their lifetimes, how long they actually live, um, is largely uh, dependent on their initial mass. So different sized stars live for different amounts of time. So what can happen is that you can have several generations, you know, and um, there is some interesting research um, talking about how maybe um, the death of larger stars can actually actively trigger star formation because the shockwave from like a supernova or something can actually push gas together and then that can become dense enough to trigger the next generation of, of, of star formation. So riddle me this. Imagine you have um, this kind of like intergenerations of, of different stars of different sizes. What if the populations align such that um, you have a big old star that's about to go supernova, just as there's a um, baby star that's just kind of starting to form. And um, as this star is in its sort of young protoplanetary disk stage, a nearby star goes supernova. And for those who don't know, when a supernova happens, uh, this is an incredibly important um, event from a chemical perspective, because this is where you form all of those elements that are higher in protons, um, like we call them metals, but for astronomers, metals is anything more than like helium. <laughs> so, you know, oxygen is a metal. Um, so these like higher metallic things are actually formed in these supernovas. That's where we get, you know, precious, like gold and things like that. And um, 
if you don't really have a lot of metals in your baby protoplanetary disk, if there's a nearby supernova that happens, that will projectile vomit a beautiful dollop of much um, met- more richer in metal species that could actually um, it be injected into this protoplanetary uh, disk. Without which we couldn't have life on Earth. Well, we'd be a very boring, <laughs> more, <laughs> yeah. just loads of gas. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know actually off the top of my head um, how much the offset is between what would be a realistic amount of metals to have in the in a, 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 a the, the 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 early cloud um, without kind of external influences. But I do know that there's a specific um, you know contention in that we have found certain isotopes. Um, that could really only be formed in supernovas um, mm. in um, bodies that we found, you know, from, from meteorites and stuff like that, um, that wouldn't make sense to be in our in our cloud. So there is already some mystery. There is already some things that, some species that we think should not have been in what we expect. <laughs> you can see there's a lot of like uh, yeah. adjustments. We think, but we believe, we assume. But um, isn't, isn't, but yeah. there, isn't there a little bit of a connection between supernova and, and the cloud collapse in the first place? So if you've got this, the, these portions of the cloud get, yeah. get pushed into collapse because yeah. a nearby supernova shockwave kind of yeah. pu- pushes that bit of the cloud and, and that's what that's what's triggers the collapse in the first place. So yeah. it's not... So there's kind of almost but, two things going on. Well, exactly. And we also, uh, another thing is that even before they go supernova, um, massive stars also have a lot of solar, or, or sorry, um, a lot of stellar winds. Um, so there's a lot of other activity from massive stars, nearby massive stars that could have a role in, in star formation. Um, that's something that's also being researched. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's why things like the Orion Nebula is so exciting for everyone yes, because it, it's it's exactly. like it 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 is a stellar nursery and the Eagle Nebula, of course, the the whatever it's called, the pillars of creation yeah. inside oh, the Eagle Nebula, and, 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 and it's like that that is so we see something like that, and and the sun was formed in one of these stellar nurseries, but it's lost all its stellar companions, all its siblings, right? So yeah, it's just sort of. So sad. <laughs> yeah, but I mean at some point and it's probably while life has actually started on earth. Like single-celled life had started on earth before the late heavy bombardment. And so you think earth may not even have been in the position it's in now. <laughs> There's so many. It's yeah. crazy. And and you think well and maybe the sun may have even been with its you know, traveling around the center of the Milky Way with its companions in a slight nebulous material like like the Seven Sisters do. You yeah. know, when you when you look up, up at the Pleiades and you see that slightly nebulous um The beautiful blue. Yeah, the beautiful blue. And and they're all traveling together around the Milky Way. And I guess the sun would have been like that at some point, traveling around in the last yeah, star- wisps of its nebula with its sisters. Yeah, that's a, that's a, another thing that it, really it's not my field, so I don't know much about it. But I do know that also, you know, figuring out who else formed with the sun <laughs> is an interesting question. Um, something else that I just remembered as well is that um, we we often we also talk sometimes about how maybe the fact that Jupiter is where it is could actually also have been a saving grace in that um, it also kind of swallows up some of these incoming asteroids because if they're sort of headed towards Earth 
and then Jupiter is nearby instead, that's just going to be captured by Jupiter's gravitational field and then end up there instead. So who knows, maybe we would be seeing much more bombardment in the inner planets if it wasn't for these sort of gas uh, giants that are protecting us outside. It's funny, that one seems to go in yo-yos. When I was a kid, I I always was told that story about Jupiter sucking, you know, hoovering hoovering up and protecting the Earth. But then... Uh, every now and then you see a paper by some budding PhD uh, <laughs> who uh, where, where they where they sort of suggest that maybe Jupiter is a bit of a disruptor and keeps knocking things well, out of the asteroid. True. Maybe I'm lying. No, no, no. I, 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 it's, I mean, I think that is the that's the that's the sort of general consensus is that Jupiter is, yeah. is like. But but there's also some evidence that it that it does quite the opposite. It's very nerve-wracking to be here saying what the astronomical community thinks because <laughs> a lot of things people don't agree with. Um, but but I mean, it's 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 why it's so important to be doing this research, to be collaborating, to to sort of reach a consensus together um, um, by just having as much data as possible and throwing as much brain power on it as we can. Yeah, I mean, presumably things like things like the sisters of the sun. All these, you know, stars born mm. in the same stellar nursery, they could, they would have a similar composition. So you might even be able to sort of track where they've ended up. But presumably, when they were close by, they could have been having a particularly strong influence on the on the movement of things like Jupiter as well. As in, there's bound to be some interaction, isn't there, between you know, gravitationally between stars that just get maybe just get a little bit too close. If they if they come very close, absolutely, and you know we we it's very interesting to look at, for example, um, how binary systems. So when you have two stars um, orbiting each other, how they work out co-parenting uh, a planet between them. Most star systems are binary, right? Or I a think lot so. of them are. A lot or, of them, anyway. I don't know if most, but a lot of them. You don't often get particularly stable planetary orbits around binaries. Yeah, you can do. Uh, we have found uh, uh, such systems. Very cool. Very um, Star Wars, you know. In our solar system? Yeah. Moons. How did they get there? Also a good question. I mean, there there are some planets that have, I think, Mercury and Venus have none, I think. And then I, I think all the other ones have moons. But then how many they have? We have one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Jupiter has so many, they can't keep count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... Uh, the Earth's moon seemed does seem to be very unusual. Yeah, I think the at least the last time I read about it, the the most general consensus on the moon formation was that um, during question mark late heavy bombardment, at, you know, at some point, um, something big happened so that um, basically a, a chunk of Earth probably broke off. Um, and um, was sprayed into space so much so, and then it, it was those sort of pebbles and that sort of um, spray out was captured in orbit, and then that created to form the moon. Um, because I do believe that there is um, some some similarities between um, the you know rock of the moon and the rock of the Earth. Um, but how that was formed again? I mean, it's. <laughs> No one was there. <laughs> no, I mean, so so you 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 can have moons that are formed from collisions, and presumably yeah. you can have moons that are caused by one big body capturing another one, right? 
I guess so, yeah. So the, the moon could have, say, formed in the Kuiper belt. I mean, it wasn't because I think that, like you said, its composition is so similar to Earth that that would, that would seem unlikely. But, say, Pluto is smaller than the moon. So the Pluto could have worked its way into the solar system and then been captured by something like uh, the Earth. Because I think yeah. isn't uh, Triton, which is the moon of Uranus, am I right there? Or Neptune? No, it's Neptune, isn't it? Triton is the moon yeah, of Neptune. Yeah, the sea looks, gods. Yeah, and it looks very similar to Pluto. Yeah. So, so, so something like Triton could have been kind of captured from the Kuiper belt. Well, you know what? We actually have had temporary moons around the Earth. That has happened where mm. we do have natural sort of natural satellites, if you will, that sort of occasionally pop in, do a few spins and then go <laughs> by. <laughs> and um, I mean, we also probably won't have the moon forever. The moon is, you know, is it four centimeters every year or something that the moon is, uh, you know, pulling drifting further away. and further away, yeah. drifting away. Exactly. Um, so moons are not uh, permanent installations. Um, and again, we've come back to the part, uh, the point that gravitational orbits are really not that stable. In, in theory, they are. In practice, they're not. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that the moon drifts away for a bit. And then as all, the, as all, the, as all that momentum's lost, mm. it will start to slowly fall back in again. Mm. But, but unfortunately, the, the sun would have gone red giant. But if the sun could just leave us to our little cosmic dance, <laughs> yeah. the moon would, chill for a bit. Would, would, would fall back in, go past the Roche limit and get pulled apart by gravitational tidal forces. And the Earth would have a ring system. Oh, that would be but beautiful. It would be beautiful, but the sun's going to come and burn us all to death Ew. before we get to see it. It's what a annoying. buzzkill! Yeah, oh, no, we the... could have had a beautiful like. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're already we're already working on creating you know <laughs> rings of uh, space <laughs> junk in low Earth orbit. So maybe we can make our own ring system. I mean, the end of the solar system. When's it coming? We've kind of hinted at it, isn't it? Really, it's that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's when the sun decides to go, hang on a second, I've run out of hydrogen. I'm going to have to start burning helium now, right? I, I've uh, many times I get this when I speak to, you know, little school age kids. Um, and sometimes they ask me like, um, is the sun going to blow up? My mommy told me so. And I have to be like, yes, my darling, it's going to be horrible and it will swallow us. <laughs> but I mean, you, are, you know, you it's okay. We'll so, be long gone by you then. Are so we'll mean. all be dead. Everyone, no, of course, no. I actually, I actually, I say it uh, very optimistically. I say that you know, in the very, very, very distant future, but like way, way so distant that no one will be around um, because we'll have moved to another planet by then. Is what I tell the kids. Um, then the sun will swell up, um, and it will get very close to us. I, I don't know if the, I think the consensus is either it will swallow the Earth or it'll be just close enough so we'll be scorched. Uh, so either way, not great. Um, but um, yeah, hopefully by then we'll either have, uh, well, we're doing a pretty good job at scorching the earth anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it gets, it does get gradually warmer from about six billions on, six billion years onwards as well. Yeah. So we've got, a, we've got a couple of billion years of fairly decent weather, I think, <laughs> until it goes, well, until it goes all terrible. Yeah. So, but, you know, know, enjoy it while we can. Happy summer, kids. <laughs> I mean, the solar, you kind of can't help feeling that the solar system must be a little bit special because we don't see 
intelligent life around no. much, do we? I actually, I remember, I, I hope I'm not misquoting it. I remember I, I attended a lecture not long ago and I think the number that was thrown out was that if, you know, we don't have too many crazy biases, like from what we're sort of gathering, um, it would be fair to say that our solar system, you know, our kind of star, our kind of planet, our kind of everything, we are in the range of like 1%. Mm. So, you know, there there could be another fellow 1% uh, of, of uh, solar systems that could be uh, analogous to ours. But, but really clearly the vast majority is not totally like ours. Yeah, it's the rare Earth hypothesis, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Which... is it really, is it more reassuring that, to think that we're alone or... Or, or that, that we're not. <laughs> I know. Well, this is this is Arthur C. Yeah. Clarke's great qu- quote, isn't it? It's like yeah. there's there's two possibilities. One, we're alone, which yeah. is terrifying. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yes. And one, we're not alone, which is equally terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Uh, so you should be terrified all the time. I, I know this is like an overly objective way of thinking about it. And I know I'm like purposely eliminating any feeling of passion or humanism into this but i'm deciding to feel that you know what it kind of doesn't matter it's a little bit like asking what's north of the north pole it because we're also not probably going to have contact anyway so Mm. if a tree falls in the woods something 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 yeah and and it's almost good that we don't make contact because it'd be very frustrating with current technology (laughs) yeah i mean i'd love to find out i'd love to be like wow there's a planet there cool Uh, uh, but like like we said in a in a previous episode it's not like when you when you found if you found an intelligent civilization you wouldn't be like okay cool let's skype them let's see what's up like that would not be uh, an immediate next step (laughs) i mean i i think it definitely because it would take so long i think it would definitely change the entire global psyche wouldn't it as the I'd news hope got so. round, you'd think, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I've been it, disappointed by humanity many times in my yeah, short I, life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it wouldn't, maybe it wouldn't, maybe it would be, you know, oh, okay, that's interesting. No, well, I think a, a problem, let's say, is that because uh, the scientific method is the way it is, it would take it wouldn't be an instant like breaking news headlines we found it it would be like we think we may have found something and then we'd be like well we think we suspect that this would probably okay confirmation but it would be kind of like water on mars like we first thought well we probably found ice and then it's like okay well we probably found this and like now we know that there's you know liquid water there but it, it was never this like oh my god moment where mm. suddenly everyone found out oh my gosh there's water there and you know if we find something uh in the coming decade it will probably be the same sort of slowly trickling out like okay well we found something we found this sort of you know indication blah 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 um us nerds will be overjoyed and throwing our hats in the air but uh <laughs> yeah. the 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 sort of like um you know public interest in these things uh, is a little bit slower yeah, well, it's it's sometimes you you I can't help thinking that if you spoke to some people, they might even think that we've already made contact. What? Some people certainly think we've already made contact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I think it would be, yeah, it'd be quite hard to maybe you know a lot of people with their everyday lives don't really think about it as much as us no. space nerds, maybe. <laughs> but, no, certainly not. I mean. Is it a you know moral question like are you are you obliged to care? No, I guess not. No. We do, but do we have to? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Right, well... In summary, you know, you have the big cloud, then you have the hot pocket, then you have the star, then you have the pizza dough, whip, uh, with the flat donut... God, I'm hungry. There's yeah. <laughs> With the flat donut uh, cloud. And then in the cloud, um, you get uh, little things accreting, like pebbles sticking together, and then, boom, planetary system. With, like... 50 asterisks of we're not really sure <laughs> what happened between these periods. Yeah. And the fact that there may have been more planets in the mix that got chucked Could have out. been more, could have been fewer. I mean, the, the really intriguing one is maybe one of one of the planets in our solar system is an interloper that it that it yeah. came from a, that it an came intruder. from an, an intruder that came from another. What if we're the intruder? Well, yeah, what if <gasps> Earth is the intruder? <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. What have we done? <laughs> yeah, would we know that? I, I guess we would, though. If, if, like, the Earth was a ridiculously different chemical composition to the rest of the solar system, then you go, oh, that's a bit odd. But the problem is, I mean, everything is, you know, fair Weird. game in the sense that it's all from the periodic table, you know, it's all, <laughs> it's all yeah. combinations of things. And the, the, the planets that we found from other solar systems are not totally radically different a lot of them are you know similar enough i guess yeah. oh well, yeah, sketchy territory well yeah i guess if you're yeah i guess if you've all come from the same stellar nursery yeah then it then it'd be quite hard because they'd be cousins wouldn't they you'd have these, yeah. co these little cousin planets that you know could come in like little cuckoos and you'd barely notice the difference oh that's cute i like that image yeah <laughs> Well, it may have been even a cuckoo planet that crashed into the Earth to create the moon, right? Well, there, maybe maybe the moon was the planet. <laughs> it was. I don't think so. No, but hey, yeah, it's just yeah. it's really complicated, isn't it? Basically, to try and work out what's it's going really on. It's really complicated. They're... Yeah, and I mean, there's just there's just it, it's the lack of of uh, evidence. You know, it's it's if something if something left uh, that long ago, how would we know? If something if something. Um, migrated like it's so hard to to figure out um how how where something started and where it went and we 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 have very good ideas and, and technologies to you know make uh, models but they are models ultimately yeah i mean you, you mentioned early on about the isotopes of certain metals that they find in meteorites that can only yeah. be made that can only be made in um supernova and that gives yeah. us a clue, a clue of how our solar system was formed so i suppose all these esa and nasa and jaxa and all those kind yes. of uh, all those probes that are going out into space and all the scientists working around everywhere studying meteorites yeah. and astronomers looking through their telescopes etc <laughs> etc et that is kind of piecing together this unbelievably complex story isn't it I mean, absolutely so, we, so you, you know it's really only the last hundred years and really the on, only the last sort of 40 years that we've like even started to yeah. come close to getting this image together right i mean the fact that we know what we know already is such a monumental achievement um i feel like i make the same point every time i'm on this podcast like please give us funding we want <laughs> funding we want money please <laughs> um because that's that's how you make progress and and um it's it's also something that Every every new piece of technology, it's not born in a vacuum. It's it's being built on top of previously existing technology. So we keep getting better and better because we're not starting from scratch every time. We're just improving what we already have, what we already know, 
Um, the new knowledge doesn't delete the old knowledge. So please give us more funding. We want to do more science. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where, you know, how, how do, if, if I was, if I was sitting here going, I'm a punter, mm. do I, do I do my funding by paying my taxes or can you as a punter, say if I was a rich punter and I was thinking, <laughs> I've got 10 grand, I can put it into shares or I can put it into science. How would you do it? Oh, donate to your local university. Absolutely. Oh, yes, there we go. Yeah. Cash in pocket. They do it all the time. I mean, I mean, yeah, rich people do. (laughs) A yacht or like a new lab. Eh, Yeah. 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 So so if you're thinking of buying the latest Rolex watch. Yeah. Think again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're trying to say. Exactly. Buy buy your local PhD students a hot meal, perhaps. (laughs) That's Maybe. a good kind of like, you know, more more realistic uh, working class sort of uh, way to <laughs> to or, donate. Yeah. Or, or maybe if you're thinking of buying a seat on Virgin Galactic. Yeah, just don't. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just don't. Did, did, yeah. And so, yeah, there we go. There's a there's a perspective that I'd not thought of before. <laughs> um, um, Lynn, do you know the website address? that people can go and see the notes if they want to, that I shall try and knock up some notes for this episode. Yes, it's interplanetary.org.uk. Perfect. And if you want to join the patrons like Mark Kelly and Adam French, then you can uh, go over to www.patreon.com forward slash interplanetary and join which us there. is which is a way of funding science i think at least because yeah. you know this is outreach and we're uh, inspiring the next generation of scientists yeah well shout out to some of our patrons like marissa who who are studying astronomy because she listened to the podcast so oh you that's know. great you go so, marissa I, I do feel as i'm part of the scientific community thanks Lynn. absolutely <laughs> of course you are I, I mean joking aside no this is something very important it's like I feel like there's a lot of um, sort of elitism as well. You know, people ask themselves when they're, if they're, you know, at university or even at A-level or something, they wonder like, God, when can I call myself a scientist? When have I, you know, earned that title? And I mean, do you like science? Yeah, it's great. I mean, okay, professional scientist, maybe no, but like you you are a scientist if you are interested in science and, and yeah. that's not something to ever gatekeep. Yeah. So yes, like, of course, Matthew, you are yeah. absolutely. Uh, thank you. Yes, yes, I knew it. I, I will <laughs> call the the uh, university and get them to ship you a little certificate. Oh yeah, maybe I can have one of those uh, honor honorary um, an exactly. honorary doctorate. That would be a st- good. Or, or a sticker. <laughs> or just a sticker. <laughs> just a <laughs> sticker. It. A sparkly one, though. <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm going to say bye bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. It was a great pleasure as always. Oh, Lynn, it's always great getting you on. Bye-bye.